theyeshiva.net. Let me begin today with a story in the Gemara. This is a uh, fascinating, intriguing, and enigmatic episode in Talmud and Tractate Shabbos. Meseches Shabbos, Daf Ayin Zayin Amud Beis. 77b, says the Gemara. You can look it up afterwards if you wish, or see it now. Fascinating story and extremely perplexing. One of the great Talmudic sages of his day was a man named Reb Zayda. was a student of a person who was considered one of the greatest sages of his generation, Rav Yehuda. One day, Reb sees Reb Yehuda standing at the entrance of the home, I think it says, of his father-in-law. And he sees that Kabdichedaiti, what you would say in English, you would say Rabbi Yehuda is in a good mood. He's relaxed. He's serene. Kabdichedaiti. He's, he's jolly. And Rabbi Yehuda realizes, Rabbi Zayda realizes, that's what the Gemara says, that he can ask of Rabbi Yehuda any question under the sun. The expression is, any question in Chalala Alma, any question in the space of the world, which means you could talk about anything. Anything that's going on in our space, in our world, on our planet, in our cosmos, you can talk about such an opportunity. So the Bzeida decides to ask a question. The question is, my time Izi Mazgin Aramaic. Why is it that usually in a farm you'll see that the goats go ahead of the sheep? So the Yehuda answers, Oh, why? Kibriyasishalaylam. It follows the pattern of creation of the cosmos. Bereisha Chashaycha, Vahadr Nahayra. First came darkness, then came light. In Genesis, we learn, There was evening, there was morning, one day. Our day doesn't start with morning. Our day starts with evening. When does the Jewish day start? Sunset the night before. Sometimes it's confusing for people who are not familiar with the patterns of the Jewish people. The Shabbos... William Kippur or Pesach doesn't start in the middle of the night, 12 a.m., doesn't start the next morning. It starts the night before. Creation of the world began, First came night, first came darkness, then came morning, then came light. That's what creates the pattern of the day. Says Rashi, usually in most cases, goats are dark. Sheep are white. Goats, often, sometimes you have exceptions, but generally speaking, as Rashi says, most ghosts have a darker you, a darker color. Most sheep are white. So what comes first? Blackness comes before whiteness. Darkness precedes the light. So of course, the goats have to march first. That's the end of the exchange. And then the Gemara goes on to discuss other questions 
Reb Zayda asked Reb Yehuda at that is that special, unique, auspicious opportunity that wouldn't come so often to be able to ask anything. And of course, you're wondering, like I'm wondering, and this is a serious question I want to ask you, if you can have five minutes, one minute, a few minutes, with the greatest sage of the generation, with the greatest mind of the generation, the greatest soul of the generation, one of the greatest souls of the generation, what would you ask? <laughs> Anybody? Well, some people would just ask about themselves, right? I want this, what do you say of this? Should I change my jobs? Should I go here? Should I move here? Okay, that's fine. I'm, you know, I'm talking, thinking about me, my own needs. But if you were to offer to ask questions, the big questions, what would you ask? Would you ask why in your farm the goats go before the sheep? Strange thing, no? And the Gemara records it. And you're talking about the Bzeda, the Yehuda. The Bzeda himself was no Katlakanya, as they say, was no small man. Even though Zaira means small. He was no small man. <laughs> Zaira means small, but he was no small man. Some of you remember the Shia from before Purim a few years ago. Come Rabbe, Shachtelet Abzeda. On Purim also, yeah. Come Rabbe, Shachtelet Abzeda. You remember? Yeah. Or it's too early in the morning for that. The minute he said Abzeda. <laughs> it triggered. It triggered already Purim, huh? So the Abzeda wants to speak to the Yehuda. So what does he ask him about? Why goats go before sheep? Something is missing here. So here's a classic example. The Alter Rebbe, the Balatanya, writes in Tanya about learning in Yaakov, learning a goddess of Shas, learning the stories in Gemara. And he says, Most of the secrets of Torah are embedded, are embedded there. If you look at the story from a simple point of view, it's extremely strange. Very perplexing. This is what would be his question, and then Rabbi Yehuda's answer, because creation was first darkness and then light, therefore the goats go before the sheep. What's the connection? Because their color is dark and the sheep's color is white. We have to understand this is really a very, very profound question and a very profound answer. So we're privileged that it's a machzadik in this Maimer that we're learning on Purim, Chayev Inish now goes into the story in the Gemara and he reveals what it is. Talk about secrets of Teda. You'll soon see what the exchange was between Abzeda and Abihud. Let's see inside. We're in the middle of the Maimer, Chayev Inish Lipsuma Bapurya, Eira Teda Megillus Esther. Page Reish Tzadik Vav Seiv Dalad, the fourth the fourth chapter. If you don't have it open before you, you can open the source sheets or download the source sheets. You'll find them as always on theyeshiva.net. On the top there's the Shear for Monday, and you could click on it. And uh, yeah, right. We didn't we didn't finish the few lines from the previous chapter. I'll I'll uh, I'll say it outside, and you could learn it inside. I'll say it outside in the continuation of the of the of the of the class. Siv Dalit. Ubaze Yovan Mashamurazal. 
With this, we'll understand what our sages say. Why is it that goats march forward in the beginning and follow? they're followed by sheep? Easy are goats. Imri in Aramaic are sheep. Beresha means they go in the beginning. Resha is the beginning, like the Resha of a Mishnah, the beginning. They go ahead and they're followed by sheep. Why is it? They're following the patterns of creation, the way the world was created. In the beginning came darkness, and then came light. And you know where else the Gemara says this expression? The opening of Shas, Masech Tebrachis. The Gemara wants to know why does the first Mishnah of the whole Mishnayis, of all of Shas, begin with it all begins with the Krishna at night. When do you read Kriya Shema at night? From when is there an obligation to say Shema at night? And the answer is from when the Kayanim, from when the priests enter to enter into eating, enter into the time that they can eat Truma. They can eat the sacred tithes even if they were spiritually impure and they have to wait for nightfall. Even if they went to the mikveh in the middle of the day, they have to wait for nightfall in order to be able to eat truma. That's the time for Krishna. Why does he begin with Krishna at night? And the Gemara discusses there, that's how creation begins. So we begin with Mayriv, we begin with night, and then later we go to Shachris, we go to the morning. Our days start at night. Same answer here. What does this mean? What is Rabbi Yehuda telling Rabbi Zayda? So listen to what the Tzamech Tzadik says. Pidish, this is uh, something uh, special. Pidish, Bereish when he says the beginning of darkness, he's revealing to him here the secret of the Tzimtzum. Choshech, darkness, represents here not just the physical darkness that comes after nightfall. But the reality of the tzimtzum, which is his talkus ha'ir, the departing of the light. As it stated in the Sefer, the tree of life in the beginning. And you probably know by now, if this is not your first time, that Eitz Chaim is considered one of the classic works, seminal works of the Ariza. One of the greatest Kabbalists in Jewish history, Rabbi Yitzchak Luria, Rabbi Isaac Luria, who lived in the 16th century in Tzvas, passed away in the year 1572 on the fifth day of Av, Hey Av. Many of you were at his resting place, the blue graves, the blue tombstones in the old city of Tzvas, near the Arizal's Mikvah. And Eitz Chaim is one of his great works that was transcribed by his loyal disciple and pupil, Rabbi Chaim, Verb Chaim Vital, from Damascus. The Rizal passed away at a very young age, and Eitz Chaim is considered one of his great works. The opening of Eitz Chaim, he says, the opening of Eitz Chaim is, and he quotes the Rizal. The Rizal says, and I quote, concentrate. In the beginning of creation, the light of the Ein Sov, the light of infinity, filled the entire space. Filled Makam Hachala, filled the entire space where there could conceptually be a universe, was filled by Ein Saif, and there was no space for any world existing because every space, every conceivable space, physically and conceptually, was filled by the presence of the Infinite One.
When Hashem wanted, when it ascended in Hashem's desire to emanate worlds, to create, to emanate from Himself an energy that will ultimately result in the universe, the first thing He had to do is tzimtzim esatzmai. He had to restrict Himself or withdraw the infinite light, or conceal the infinite light, v'nikra makam creating what the Arizal calls an empty space, which is in Hebrew a chalal, a chalal ches lamed lamed, or makam which means a space that's vacant. Vacant of what? Vacant, devoid of the infinite presence of the Eirein Soif, which would exclude the possibility for any reality outside of the Ein Saif, outside of the infinity. This is known as the secret of Tzimtzum. Tzimtzum means is to restrict, to, uh, to limit, to mitigate, to withdraw. Tzimtzum is basically the concept of withdrawal or, or limitation, etc. What is Tzimtzum in this case? T-Z-I-M-T-Z-U-M. Tzimtzum, what is the Tzimtzum? The tzimtzum is the first thing that Hashem was compelled to do in order to allow for creation. In simple words, what Arizal is teaching us is that if not for the tzimtzum, if not for this withdrawal, what would happen? Ein Soif would be everything and all of reality. There's just infinity. As we often say, if the doors of perception are cleansed, everything appears as is. Who's Shalom Potash? Ashtikein Saif. Mamish Ashtikein Saif. Who's the Baden? Ashtikein Saif. Everything is Ain Saif. Everything is, is part of Ain Saif. Not even part. It's all infinity. It's all oneness. What did the Tzimtzum do? The Tzimtzum created a new paradigm. Hashem, so to speak, so it's, it's, he's using, we're using graphic, graphic uh, terminology, but it's conceptual. Withdrew or concealed his infinite presence, creating a makampana, a space in which one doesn't experience, a space in which one doesn't experience that infinity. So now there can be a world that exists in that empty space. That's called the Chalal and Makimpane. That's Bereshech HaSheikh. So how was the world created? First there had to be Choshech. First there had to be this concept of Tzimtzum. What is Tzimtzum? Tzimtzum is the concealment of the light. The light has to be removed. The light has to depart. What does he call it? Histalkus ha'or. The light has to depart. Now there's darkness. There's a void. There's an empty space. Now there's light. The next thing is light. What's the next? There's the kav, the line that flows from the erin soif into the empty space creating, animating, sustaining all of the universes and all of reality. That's the Nahira, that's the light that follows the darkness. So it's not just night came before day in terms of time. Night comes before day in terms of the whole process of creation. First is the Tzimtzum, that's Bereshach HaShoycha. And then is the Oyer that breaks through the Tzimtzum, 
That's the Hadar Nahaira. That's the light that follows the darkness. That's the goats that precede the sheep. That's what Rabbi Yehuda was talking about. He was talking about the tzimtzum. As the tzimach tzadah, to understand what is this whole idea of tzimtzum, of restriction or withdrawal in the light of Ein Saif. Halaiksiv, don't we have a fundamental idea in, in our tradition? Paraphr- uh, uh, articulated by this verse in Malachi, the last prophet is the Navi Malachi. Malachi, Malachi says, Malachi. I, God, have not changed. And one basic interpretation of that means, There's no difference between pre-creation and post-creation. But here, Tzimtzum is a major difference. It's a drastic difference between pre-creation and post-creation. What is the meaning of this? So the Tzimach Tzedek says, Ooh, we have to understand what Tzimtzum is. The answer to this question is known with tremendous ramifications, as we'll see. The Pirush Eirein Saif. The words that Rizal keeps on using is Eirein Saif. The light of Ein Saif. That's the words he uses. The Pirush Eirein Saif. The meaning of the words Eirein Saif is the light of Ein Saif. What does light mean? Light is a metaphor for a ray. Ha'ara is a ray. A, a ziv is like a glimmer, which comes from, it, it's drawn, it's from, it's communicated. It shines from the Ein Saif. ziv ha'shemesh. A physical example would be the ray of the sun. She'ein ne'aroich le'etzem ha'shemesh. Which in no way defines or captures the solar core. There's the ray of the sun, and then there's the solar core, the, the etzim ha-shemesh, right? The sun itself. The ray of the sun comes from the sun. It gives you the warmth of the sun. It gives you the light of the sun. It's what allows our planet to live. We are thankful for the rays of light that come from the sun. We have light, and we have all the benefits that we get from light. There's no way our planet can support life in any form or fashion if we didn't have the Eir HaShemesh, right? It's an incredible thing. That's why we're so grateful. Every day we talk about Baruch HaTashem, Yoytzer HaMa'iris. He creates the luminaries. Yoytzer Eir, We're davening in the morning, so we start with Yoytzer Eir. We start with the light. Yoytzer Eir, we don't start with the dark, because it's chakras. Yoytzer at night we say, Asher Bidvaroi, Mariv Aravim, Baruch HaTashem, HaMariv Aravim. It's nice to see somebody getting excited about the text of davening. That's the beauty of being a Balchuva. You can get excited about the text of davening. I told you once, I read, uh, I, I, I think I heard this, so, so this is from Rabbi Adin Evan Yisrael. He said he read an article of a Christian priest, <laughs> and the priest wrote that the most beautiful poem he ever read in his life was Psalms 145. He says, there's no poem that makes a soul dance like Psalms 145. The only challenge is, you know what Psalms 145 is? Ashrei. How many people get excited about Ashrei? 
to say that this is the greatest poem they've ever read in their life. But that's what happens when there's a certain distance. You can appreciate it. Asher Yeshev Now read Asher, you'll see it's the greatest poem that was ever written. <laughs> in any case, so at night we say in the morning we say So the sun provides this extraordinary benefit. It's a source of life. It's a lifesaver. It's a life giver. And because of that, we are so grateful for the sun. But there is the difference between the Ziv Hashemesh and the Etzem Hashemesh. Etzem Hashemesh is the solar core. Ziv Hashemesh is the ray of the sun. But the ray, in this case, in Hashem's case, the ray is also infinite. It's a ray of infinity. If it's a ray of infinity, it's also infinite. And therefore, the person would not be able to exist, the world would not be able to exist, even just with the presence of the Ziv. So the light of the Ein the ray of the Ein had to, so to speak, depart and ascend and retreat back into its source, the Ein itself, so that it should be able to be the creation of the worlds. Because even the Ziv itself would exclude the reality of the worlds. Therefore, and we're going to see soon the ramifications of this in a person's life, which are not just drastic, but they're life-changing. Therefore, this does not affect a change in the essence of the Ein Saif, in the essence of Hashem. K'may al-Darech Marshall, back to our example. Ein Aziv Hashemesh Poyal Shini B'mayr Hashemesh. Nobody is going to say that the various fluctuations of the rays of the sun, the solar rays, affect and redefine the solar core. Sometimes there may be a cloud that doesn't allow the manifestation, the revelation, the brightness of the sun to come into your window, to reach the planet. There are clouds that block and eclipse the rays of the sun. Nobody's going to say that the solar core became smaller or became weaker or became less powerful or became less bright or became less hot or has less electricity. It just means that I cannot perceive with my eyes, I cannot perceive that light coming into my home because there are clouds. And this is the essential understanding of how you have to understand that Simpson says it's a machtzadek. It's about the Oyrein Saif. And therefore it's not a contradiction to Ani Hashem Loishanisi. What is he teaching us here? In very brief words, Tzamach Tzedek here is addressing a fundamental question about Simpson, and it's actually something that was debated about by some of the great mystics and some of the great Kabbalists. And to use the phrase, I'm using the, going to use the phrase in Kabbalistic language, was the Tzimtzum only in Eir, or was the Tzimtzum also in the Etzim? Was the Tzimtzum only in the light, or was the Tzimtzum also in the essence? You see clearly, the Tzimach here explains 
that the Arizal's words are meticulous, the Tzimtzum was only in the light. The Tzimtzum never in the essence. The essence is as is, pre-Tzimtzum and post-Tzimtzum. No change. Ani Hashem And that reconciles the contradiction he posed. Ani Hashem I never changed. Creation didn't change that. Either it was a Tzimtzum. Tzimtzum is in the air. The Tzimtzum in the air and the light doesn't affect the essence. Just like in our metaphor. There may be clouds and the clouds eclipse those rays shining but the solar core remains as is intact. Of course, it's a poor metaphor because you're dealing with a physical reality called the sun despite its greatness and its intensity and its power, but it's still obviously an inadequate metaphor, but it does teach us something. Now he gives another example. We're going to learn his second example, and then we'll see how this, what this means in our lives. Let's give another example in the soul. Yeah. What's the acronym Beis Hayayin? Briyas Ha'olam. And the second word afterwards, Shinnon Hayayin, is Shenivra Ha'olam. Ein Shinnoi Klal Ben Kaidem Briyas Ha'olam, La'acha Shenivra. There's no change, pre-creation, post-creation. This is what we say every morning in Shachris, in the Karbanas. Atahu Kaidem Shenivra Ha'olam. Remember after after uh, after the first Shema, the small Shema, we speak about Atu Atshalein Nivra Ha'olam, Atu Mishinivra Ha'olam. You were the, you are the you are here pre creation and post creation and in the same fashion. Says the Tzemach Tzedek v'yuvan zegam kenal derech marshal benefesh dehine hispash tuzchis hanefesh laachis esaguf who gam ken raka orem eetzem hanefesh. The flow of the soul, the vitality of the soul that flows to animate the body, is a ray that comes from the essence of the soul. Again, like the ray of the sun coming from the solar core. You're not going to say that the core soul itself is divisible. It's fragmented into 613 various faculties that exist in the 248 organs of a person, the 365 veins or arteries or sinews of a person. It's a ray of the sun that animates, of the soul that animates the body. As explained in Tanya, the first section, chapter 51, which is at the end of the first section because it consists of 53 chapters. The radiance of the soul is manifested and distributed into 248 organs. For example, the power of vision is manifested in the eye. The power of hearing is manifested in the ear. The power of smell is manifested in the nose. These are all faculties that exist in the soul. They exist in the soul pre it coming into the body, and they exist in the soul post coming in the body. As we speak often, there's the electricity that continues to exist even after you unplug the refrigerator. The electricity doesn't die. The difference is when the refrigerator is there, the electricity is channeled through the vehicle called the refrigerator. So when the nefesh, the soul, is manifested in the body, so what happens? So now there is a ray of the soul, electricity of the soul, that is manifested in all of the various limbs and organs, each limb containing the chemistry that channels a certain energy of the soul. But the essence of the soul is not distributed, it's a ray of the soul. Sometimes there could be a change 
in how much energy is coming from the soul into the body. Somebody closes his eyes and he can't see anymore. So the power of vision of the soul is not being manifested in the eye. Or even worse, if somebody was struck in their eye, if somebody has a wound in their eye that is not allowing them to see. This doesn't change the essence of the soul. The power of vision that is being manifested in the eye departs, so to speak, and is now subsumed in its own source. That ability is always there in the soul. And that's why a blind father, or a blind mother, can have a perfectly healthy child. Nobody's going to say, if you want to give that language, you're not saying that the gene is damaged, not necessarily. Sometimes there's a gene that the parent bequeathes to the child, and as a result of a certain alteration, a certain change, as a result of that, it affects the child. He says, sometimes you see there's abilities the father doesn't have, the mother doesn't have. Like he gives an example, they can't see. And nonetheless, the child can be born with all of those abilities. It doesn't affect them. What, what is this in a more abstract spiritual way of spiritually understanding it? The Tzermach says, The power of vision remains subsumed in the soul, even if it's not manifested. Right? The, the refrigerator, something wrong of the eye, so a person was struck in their eye, or the person closed their eyes during sleep, fine. So it's not being manifested there, but it's not that the power of vision is gone. It retreated back into its source, and in the source it's completely there, even if it's not manifested. Sometimes a father or a mother, because of whatever the situation is, the manifestation of the faculties are lacking. There's something missing in the manifestation of it. But it doesn't mean that the kayach itself doesn't exist in them, and therefore, when they give birth to a child that child may be completely wholesome and completely healthy. What is this an example for? Never think that the tzimtzum of Eirin Saif affects a change in the essence. The Eir was just subsumed in the Meir, in the source of light. So what did the Tzimtzum achieve? That the Eirein Seif shouldn't be manifested fully below so that there could be finiteness. And that's the idea of the darkness that came in the beginning followed by the light. And that's why the goats jump ahead, which represents the dominance of the nations over Yisrael in exile, because when the light goes up, the exile can take root down below. You hear what's going on here? That's why the goats are jumping ahead of the sheep. Missed this last part. <laughs> okay, let's explain. Let's explain. We'll try to explain this. Be'ezer Hashem, at least some of the points. The goat, the goat is a marshal for Esav. Esav is called a goat, and the sheep is a marshal for Yaakov. Yaakov is called sheep. Right? Esav's name is Sawyer. Esav is called a Sawyer. 
He was given the land of Seir, which is a goat. Esav was hairy. He was full of Seir, which is also the word for a goat. And Yaakov, it says, Haksavim Hifrid Yaakov. Yaakov is associated with sheep, Imri. Esav is associated with goats. When Rivka dresses up Yaakov in Esav's clothes, what does she put on? She takes, you remember, two goats. She takes the skin of two goats, and that's how she dresses up Yaakov Avinu, and that's when Yitzchak feels Yaakov, and he says, the voice is the voice of Yaakov, and the hands are the hands of Esau, which was the skin of goats. Now, what does all this mean? What does this mean? Reb Zeta was asking a very deep question. How is it that goats go ahead of the sheep? He's asking a million-dollar question. Why is the world crazy? Why do the goats go ahead of the sheep? It's the question that Samach Tzedek asked in the beginning of chapter 3 of this Maimer. If the head ultimately is the guide for the entire body, if the brain is the source of energy for the entire body, if the brain is a central nervous system, and as a result of that, the brain is really the leader, the brain is the king, and all of the limbs of a person are subservient in the brain in the healthiest way, because the brain is really the central nervous system from which all the energy flows. So the natural pattern is that all the limbs and the organs, they cherish the brain, they follow the brain, they're one with the brain. If Yisrael is Li Reish, if the Jewish people are the brain of creation, the Rosh of creation. Bereshis, Bereshis has in it the words Rosh, right? Bereshis is Bishvil Atayro, Bishvil Yisrael. Rashi says Bereshis is two Rashis, Bez Rashis. There's two Rashis, there's two Rashis. There's Torah and the Jew, that's what the world was created for. In Golos, you see the exact opposite. So the Samachsada gave this whole example of sleep. What is sleep? When the eyes are closed during sleep, it's not that the faculties of the soul is not here. A person is less conscious during sleep. A person is not aware of what's happening when they're awake. But what happens? It's not that the soul is diminished in its essence. It's that the expression, the manifestation is not being channeled in the body in such an intense and powerful and organized and deep way like when we're awake. And therefore you could speak to me, I don't hear. Things are happening in front of me, I don't see. My thoughts could be confusing. My dreams can be paradoxical. I don't have the ability of analysis and discrimination and dissection. We are all the kaychas of the soul. What happened? My eyes are closed. Is when your eyes are closed, your vision is gone. It retreated back into the source. What's called etzem hanefesh. In fact, as he says before, the kaychas are even in a higher space because they went back to the source where paradoxes can exist. It's just not being manifested in the particular limb where there is divisibility and fragmentation and everything is organized and structured and paradox can't exist. You know, you start daydreaming and you realize, whoa, 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 I can't, that's ridiculous. You come back to your senses and you realize, I am here, I'm not there. Now, he wants to know why are the goats marching before the sheep? Why are the goats ahead of the sheep? What happened to Yaakov? In other words, why is there gullus? So he says you have to understand the system of creation. system of creation is first darkness, then light. 
The darkness precedes the light. What does this mean? It means that there's a tzimtzum in order for there to be creation. What's the tzimtzum? The tzimtzum is if reality remained as is. What is reality as is? Einoid Mulvadai. There's nothing outside of oneness. There's nothing outside of infinity. Everything is ain't safe. There's only Hashem. Hashem hu alakim einoid mulvad. The purpose of creation was that there should be what's called gvul, something finite. There should be something called the self. There should be something called the world. How can that be? Everything is ain't safe. There's no space for anything outside of Hashem. Not just physically, conceptually, there's no such a concept. Everything is Him. What is Tzimtzum? Even the word Hashem, the word God, are words that are created by Tzimtzum. Because the word Hashem or the word God are definitions, descriptions. In other words, God is a reality. Pre-Tzimtzum, God is not a reality. God is the reality. There is no reality outside of that. That is reality. Tzimtzum creates a new vocabulary. Vocabulary of an empty space. There's the void of infinity. We don't feel the experience. We don't experience the infinity. In that void, there can be something called I. There can be language that we call creation. There can be something that has its own definition, its own description. The birth of identity comes from Tzimtzum. Why? Because the Eirin Soiv, the expression of infinity, is not manifested. Says the Tzimach Tzedek, the expression of infinity is not manifested. Infinity itself is exactly the same as it was. Pre-Tzimtzum and post-Tzimtzum expresses only the difference in the expression of infinity. The Hester of Isaac was Tzitzich. If you get this, everything changes. The difference between pre-Tzimtzum and post-Tzimtzum is in the expression of infinity, not in infinity. Ani Hashem Shanisi. I have not changed. Pre-creation, post-creation, everything is oneness. The difference of pre-Tzimtzum and post-Tzimtzum is the Oyrein Saif. Not the Ein Saif. The Oyrein Saif. What does it mean, the Oyrein? What's the difference? He says that's why the word is Oyrein. And for this he gives two examples. One is an example from the sun, and one is an example from the soul. But the two examples are here to convey this idea. A cloudy day, nobody's going to say, Oy, 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 the sun disappeared. The sun didn't disappear. The sun is fully there. And the light of the sun is also fully there. It's just my experience of the light has been compromised because it's a cloudy day. You hear what I'm telling you, my dear brothers and sisters? My experience of the light has been compromised because the Venetian blind is down (laughs) or because the clouds came out. Above the clouds, the sun is shining. When the clouds clouds pass, you're going to see an amazing sun. The sun is never, ever touched. There's no symptom in the sun, in the solar core. The ray of the sun, yes. The ray of the sun also hasn't been affected, but it's been affected by my perception. My perception doesn't allow me to experience it. What does this mean in a person's life? Let's give an example in, 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 our, own, in our own inner identity. And I can't, I cannot overestimate how important this is. <laughs> we have to, huh? We have to. Yeah, yeah. In other words, 
it, it, it's so essential. This is so crucial. This is so power. This is so important. I cannot, I cannot exaggerate about how important it is. You know, sometimes you say this is very important, but it's not so important. But this is important. <laughs> this is important <clears throat> because it's 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 one of the few things. It's one of the important things that everybody has to be able to be aware of in their own lives and ultimately be able to experience it, even though right now they're not experiencing it. Who am I? That's the big question in the world. Who am I? The answer is, there's the who I am pre-tzimtzum, and the who I am post-tzimtzum. Who am I pre-tzimtzum? Is, who, I, who am I? I am... An ambassador of light, hope, healing, redemption. Who am I? I am an ambassador of infinity. I am the Ain Saif in this world. That's who I am. So when I look at myself, that posture extends all the way up to the highest, highest space, and it comes all the way down, like Jacob's ladder. It stands on the ground but its top reaches heaven. That's a straight posture. That's erect. That's who I am. My eye is one with the divine eye. That's who I am. Or in the words of the Tanya, the soul is a chelik eleka mimal. Mamish. It's not an exaggeration. Mamish means mamish. Like when you lend somebody money and you say, I need the money tomorrow. Mamish. What does mamish mean? Mamish means for real. Not in a year, not in 10 years. Mamish is mamish, literal. Kipshutai. Say, you're a part of God. We're not exaggerating. I'm not trying to make you feel good. I'm not trying to compliment you and give you accolades. It's mamish. It's mamish that way. What does tzimtzum do? Says that tzimtzum doesn't change the essence. Symptom only affects perception. That's the key. It affects perception. Perception means it affects the ray of light that travels into my home, into my space. It affects the story I tell myself about myself. That's what it does. What does it mean it affects light, not affects essence? Back to the solar core. Nobody's going to say that when the rays are being blocked from coming into my house, the sun has been affected. The sun has not been affected. It's the same sun. Ani Hashem loishanisi. That's why we say that symptom is in the Eirin safe. So in a person's life, we have to realize that so many of the things that we tell ourselves, so many of the stories I tell myself, and I go into that space, and this becomes my new identity, what is that identity? That identity is one that is born and created from a tzimtzum, from a diminishment of the light that is not allowing me to experience myself as an extension of the Ein Saif. Now, the Tzimach Tzedek explains... The Eirein Saif is also infinite. That's why it's called Eirein Saif. The Eir is Ein Saif. 
with that air in full presence, there's no space for a world. What's the definition of a world? Definition of a world is identity outside of infinity. Now I want you to understand something very deep. It's in that identity where all trauma begins. Trauma doesn't begin with trauma. Trauma begins with separateness. Trauma, everyone faces trauma. Do you know what the greatest trauma of the life is? Existence. Reality begins with symptom. What is trauma if not symptom? What if trauma if not facing an abyss? Facing a void? Looking at reality and experiencing this bottomless pit, this abyss. That's what symptom is. Rabbi Nachman of Breslov in Lakutei Maharan, I think section 64, has a long discussion about this in very dramatic ways. There was a philosopher who once said, you know what he said, right? When you stare at the abyss, it starts staring back at you. <laughs> so even the greatest soul in the world faces this void. What's the void? The void is the I that seems detached from the source of all I. And yet that void is essential to the purpose of creation. Hashem wanted there should be gvul, there should be identity, there should be an I that experiences itself as I, post-symptom. But even in the post-symptom reality, I have to know that nothing changed in the atzmus, nothing changed in the etzim of Ein Saif. The etzim is fully present on every single level the way it was before. There's absolutely no difference. The difference that is, is in the air. If the air is concealed or the air is revealed. Pre-symptom, the air was fully present and revealed. And therefore, the only story is the story of Ein Saif. And post-symptom, that air is also present. It's just subsumed in its source. So I'm not experiencing it within myself. In fact, what am I experiencing? I'm experiencing a concealment of that air, which therefore I replace my identity, my true identity, with other forms of self-conceptualization. I replace it. Why do I replace it? Because the story of Eirein Saif, I'm not experiencing and because I'm not experiencing it, so therefore I replace my identity with a new type of identity. This is the stories I tell myself about myself. In the presence of this vacancy, in the presence of this void, I create a self-conceptualization, there's the self-conceptualization, which is devoid from the truth of the self, which is really an extension of Ein Saif. So healing happens on two levels. Level number one of healing is realizing that the tzimtzum was only in the air. In the etzem, in the essence, in the solar core, there's no tzimtzum. There's never a tzimtzum. Ani Hashem Leishanisi, pre-creation, post-creation, it's the same. And that is that at your core level, you're always one with the Ein Saif, and there's nothing you can do to diminish it or change it or compromise it. And no pain in the world. And no youth, and no dysfunctional family in the world. And not even any abuse in the world, Khalila. And even the trauma that you experienced as a youth. And even the stories that you told yourself your whole life. And even all the blockages that you grew up with. 
which are painful and difficult and have turned you into the person that you have become today and doesn't allow you to live and all of those blockages that cause you to disassociate yourself from your body and to disassociate yourself from your present and you can't, I can't live in the present, I can't be here. Why can't I be here? Because I can only survive by disassociation. So I have my structures, but I don't have the light filling those structures because there was a tzimtzum in my life. And what does it mean the tzimtzum in my life is? I never experience that full love. I may not even know what it means. I don't even know what it means to really be validated in that love. I don't know what it means to be able to experience myself in that love. I don't know what it means. Sometimes you can have a person and they're really not capable of receiving any love. You can give them, somebody was telling me not long ago, that their spouse, about a certain what is it, a certain workshop they, they, they went to. So this man says his spouse is an ocean of love, but he could never experience it. Because of his own blockages, she gives and gives and gives and gives, and it doesn't go in anywhere. I can't take it, I just reject it. Not only that, he interprets her love as negativity. Because he's so traumatized, she's giving him messages of love. He can't absorb it. There's nobody there. There's a broken vessel. He can't absorb it, so he throws it back. He gets angry. Because in his own perception, he's so broken, he doesn't deserve it. He can't even experience it as such. And in his twisted mind, he creates a whole different reality that doesn't exist. He can't be in a relationship. So the first stage of healing is to know that the tzimtzum never happened in the etzem. That the core of Hashem's essence is always present, pre-creation, post-creation. And therefore that reality is always there, it's always available. It's always real, it's very authentic. But there's another process, that's the process of tzimtzum. And that is in the light, in the experience of Ein Saif, there has been a blockage. There's been a concealment. So the first thing Tzimtzum is saying is that the Tzimtzum was only in the earth, not in the Etzim. On a deeper level, the next level he's saying is, even in the earth there was no difference. The earth just went up to the source. It's concealed in its source, but it didn't disappear. It wasn't damaged. It wasn't destroyed. When I'm sleeping... My vision is not gone, it's not destroyed, it just retreated back into its source. It's living in a higher plane, in a higher reality, but it's still accessible. It's just not present in this limited vehicle. But you can still, you, you, it's, it's still really there, it's still really present. What does this mean in the story of creation? If we now take it and apply it to the general story of life. The beginning of creation is, there is the tzimtzum. What's the tzimtzum? The tzimtzum creates, and it allows for finite identity. It allows for identity outside of Ein Saif, because the Ur departed. The Ur was concealed. The Ur Ein Saif is not present, at least not in a revealed way. It retreated back to the source. What's the source? The source is the Ein Saif, but nobody's going to say that the ray is gone, the ray was obliterated. No, it was subsumed in its source, like he gives an example of sleep. And even a parent, that chas v'shalem, a certain faculty is damaged, you're not going to say that the child will have that same problem. No, because their soul may be wholesome. 
and the genetic makeup may be absolutely wonderful. It's just there is a blockage in the manifestation, the way it's experienced in the body, and therefore it doesn't have to be bequeathed to the next generation. You don't have to. So when you look at yourself and you see a damage, you see something missing, it doesn't mean that it's gone, it's hopeless. It just may mean that it's hiding. <laughs> and you have, to, you have to be able to retrieve it from its core. You have to be able to wake up. But when you wake up, it's all there. Like when I'm asleep. My eyes are closed, but if I open my eyes, I could see. Then I can't see anything. Open your eyes. I can't hear anything. Open your ears. I can't smell anything. Open your nose. Allow yourself to absorb. Open up your antennas. These are all metaphors, physical metaphors, for the spiritual dynamics of creation. So in a world where where the tzimtzum happens, and what does the tzimtzum happening mean? People can redefine themselves as separate from Hashem, so the goats go ahead. He says, and that's the concept of Golos. Where Esav, who really wants to be aligned with Yaakov, suddenly dominates Yaakov because the air is gone like when a person is asleep and therefore this chaos and one doesn't even recognize the superiority of the brain over the rest of the body. One doesn't recognize that flow of energy that exists. There's much less consciousness. What does it mean there's much less consciousness? I'm not in touch with the true infinity of life and therefore I'm not in touch with the flow of life from the divine into the world. That's the Bereshach HaShoycha. And we all face that in our own life. We all face that mini gullus in our own life, that cosmic exile or micro-exile or macro-exile, which means the own disassociation. What is gullus? Gullus is I'm displaced. I'm disassociated. Why am I disassociated? I'm disassociated because there's a painful reality here. And therefore I disassociate. Why are people disassociated from their life, disassociated from their emotions, disassociated from their bodies? Because there's too much pain here, because the symptom affected it. And because of that, I'm displaced. I cannot fully be present in my life. And that is really what gullus means in a person's life. I'm living in a restricted place. I'm living in exile. I'm not fully me. I had to be something else than me. Why do I have to be something else than me? Because of a certain void that I'm trying to fill. Because of a certain pain I'm trying to address and therefore I'm trying to survive. Instead of thriving, I'm surviving. And what does it mean I'm surviving instead of thriving? What it means is, exact definition of tzimtzum. That light of infinity is not expressed in me and therefore I have to create new stories for myself and sometimes those stories are really, really limiting stories. But even in the most ideal life, I'm still facing the darkness that is essential to the story of creation. There is a void. There's a void that I have to face. There's a void I have to confront. In other words, there are two dimensions to human existence. There is the fact that I am part of infinity, and there's the fact that as a result of tzimtzum, I have to find that within myself. And in order to find that within myself, I have to go through a process of having that courage to be able to find that within me. I can't just go back to pre-symptom and say it never happened. I can't just go into the world of attachment. I have to embrace the I and realign the I with the essence of the I. That's the key. I have to go through that chashoycha and then bring in the light back into chashoycha, back into nahira. I have to go through that process. 
I have to go through that process of Vahi Erev and then Vahi Voike Yoimachat. It's uh, it's the idea that when we remember about this, we always know that at any point during the day we can align ourselves with the infinite flow and we could live in a world of acceptance much more than resistance, a world of compassion much more than a world of confrontation, a world of unity much more than in a world of dichotomy, a world of love much more than a world of divisiveness, a world of organic oneness much more than in a world of splits and divisions, in a world of silence much more than in a world of words, in a world of stillness much more than in a world of chaos. That's what the pre symptom reality allows us to understand. Together with that, together with that, we know that there is a symptom, and that's why we create space for the fact that I have to face an abyss, I have to face an emptiness, a void, and bring the light into that space. And that awareness is extremely powerful and helpful at every moment. It's the Reichkeit of Chesidus, no? <laughs> what should I tell you? The Reichkeit of Chesidus. The Rebbe once said, a kavart. I saw it once. He said that if you look at the Gemara there, Rebbe Zeyre said that he realized that he can ask Rebbe Yehuda all the questions of Kol Chalola Da Alma about the space of the world, meaning he can ask anything under the sun. So he says, no, he says he can ask all the questions of Chalol the Alma, about the empty space of the world, the Chalol, the empty space of post-Simpson. Literally, you learn the Gemara, he can ask anything under the sun, Chalol, anything going on in the world, he says, no, Kol Chalol the Alma means he can ask questions about the Chalol, the emptiness, the, the Tzimtzum, the darkness, the void, that's what he can ask about. Why are the goats always ahead? And he says, because you can't get to the light without the darkness. You can't get... Huh? From the teretz, from the teretz, you see the kasha. From the teretz, you see the kasha. He wants to know about the chalol. He says the chalol, the the emptiness of life, the void that we face, the trauma that we face. So he says, yeah, there's always first a symptom, and only then there's light. In other words, you always experience initially that void, and then you can come to the light. And 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 don't don't think you have to escape that. You don't have to escape that. It's not scary. It doesn't have to be scary. Would you please repeat the source of that Gemara? Tractate Shabbos 77b. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Question. Somebody asked a question. So step one is the Eirein Sai of the light. Step two is the Tzimtzum, the creation of darkness in that place. Because God has withdrawn his infinite light. Step three is the kav, the ray of light that refills the empty space. If you start counting from step two, darkness precedes light. And the parallel is dark goats before light sheep. But if you start counting from step one, the light came before the dark. That's true. You're right, that's the point. And even when it's dark, 
the light only went back to its source. The light did not disappear. The light was not obliterated. We're talking here from the perspective of the victim of Tzimtzum, so to speak, from the perspective of the empty space, which experiences darkness first. <laughs> You're right. The real Tzimtzum is rooted in the beginning. Everything begins with the infinite light. But in the experience of Tzimtzum, right, that which emerges in that space, the first thing it experiences is an empty space. That empty space experiences emptiness first. And it's trying to grapple with that emptiness. And in its grapple of emptiness, definitions are born. Language is born. Creation is born. What's creation? Creation is a substitute identity for reality. Listen to this. Creation is a substitute identity for reality. Reality is Einoid Mulvadeh. And creation says, no, I have a substitute identity for Einoid Mulvadeh. And that comes from language. Asara Mamaris, that's language. That's what letters do. Letters confer language and identity upon reality. That's the amazing miracle of creation. But it's all post-symptom. We live in a post-Simpson world. We live in a world of creation. But our souls are also rooted in a pre-Simpson world. Are you saying that Simpson didn't change the essence of Hashem, just a change of His light? So sometimes a parent is positive, loving, caring, kind, giving, nurturing. Sometimes that same parent can be seemingly negative or punitive or withdrawing. But it's the same parent. There's no change in the essence of the parent only in the outward manifestation of the parent. The symptom is only in the light, never ever in the essence. You said that Esav is the goat, Yaakov is the sheep. We know that Esav's source is higher than Yaakov. Is that what Yitzchak saw? Potentially, he's more powerful. He misused these powers, that's what Rivka saw, the actual. This is similar to the difference between maybe Hillel and Shammai. Hillel is Chesed, Shammai is Gvura. So the truth is, that in the tzimtzum, the oir goes back to the essence. So in a way, it's higher. But it's also dark. That's where Esav is rooted in. <coughs> but in reality, it has to come through Yaakov, because Yaakov represents the manifestation of God's light in the world. Am I pre-tzimtzum or post-tzimtzum? In the womb, we're pure. Then we come out of the womb. We could forget the whole Torah we learned. We could disalign from the source. We could sully our souls. It's not for nothing that birth is accompanied by contractions. Are contractions synonymous with tzimtzum? Hmm. Well, you say the contraction is what allows the birth of a separate reality. And that's what birth is. Interesting. And that's painful. Chevle Leida, the pangs of birth. Pangs of birth are the contractions that represent the fact that now there's a tzimtzum, but there's going to be a birth of a new child who's not anymore just part of his mother or her mother. That's deep. That's deep. Even the most simplistic understanding of the essence of God leads any thinking person to realize that there's no change in the essence. Like the philosopher's nonsensical question if God is omnipotent, could God create another God? Could God kill himself? 
Could God create a rock that is too heavy so he cannot lift it? These are nonsensical questions. Because no change in the essence of Hashem is possible. You have to explain what you mean more by those philosophical questions. I'm not sure I understand. We learned that Esau's head was buried with his father in Marisa Machpela. Maybe it means that in his head, in his mind, in his understanding, he realized that Yaakov was pure and entitled to the blessings because Esau has not yet reached his higher potential. When will Esau reach his higher potential? When will his body also be entitled to join the head and the head of the family? Yaakov said one day they will meet up in Harseir, the mountain of here by the Geula. Yeah, that's the ultimate realization of the unity in the world between the goats and the sheep. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Great questions, great questions, great observations. Okay, my dearest friends, we're going to uh, we're going to stop here. And um, so, what do we take out from this? What's the exercise for today? Somebody says, perhaps you could speak about which personality to emulate. Should I be a goat or should I be a sheep? (laughs) Well, they're very different characteristics. Sheep are very docile and submissive and benign, and goats are more aggressive and sly and shrewd, right? If you see goats, they can, even if you have a fence, they can sometimes, you know, literally like climb a fence and, and go over. Sheep are very different. I think goats are more individualistic. That's why Yaakov is considered a sheep. He was more he was more just dedicated to the tradition of his family. And Esau was, you know, much more rebellious, much more much more individualistic. In this case he's talking about the fact that sheep represent a certain chayshech, a darkness and the uh, goats and the sheep represents Nahir, the sheep represent represents a light. So what does all this mean? What does this mean in our lives? It means that, you know, Tzimtzum, what the Tzimtzum does is it conceals to our perception the truth of oneness, the truth that you, I, all of us, are an extension, our manifestation of infinity. And it creates a void, it creates a, a, an emptiness, an emptiness that we try to fill. And we try to fill it because we don't experience that oneness with Ein Saif. We don't. That's the chashaycha, that's the darkness that we face. And then vahadr nahayr, and then we have to bring in the light of the Ein Saif into that space. That's the kav, that's the flow that comes in, vahadr nahayr. We have to bring in that light into that space. In other words, I could go into depression. I could go into my traumas. I could go into my different stories that all take me away from that essential truth. I could fall into the abyss of tzimtzum. But I have to be able to challenge the tzimtzum. I have to be able to transform it, to bring the light into the darkness. I could walk around life sleeping. And when I'm sleeping, what happens? The full presence of my soul is not being manifested. The full electricity of the soul is not being manifested in the guf. When I'm asleep, I'm still here, everything is here. 
but it retreats upwards. The energy is now subsumed in the essence of the soul. Just like by tzimtzum, the ur is subsumed in the essence. But even when the ur is subsumed in the essence, never think that the essence is compromised. The changes are only in the light, in the manifestation of it, in the way you perceive it, in the way you define it, in the way you articulate it. Never in the truth of who you are. Never in the truth of who you are. The etzim of Ein Soif, the etzim of Hashem is Ani Mole, Ani Hashem Loishanisi. The question is, how much am I experiencing it? How much am I feeling it? Just like the core, the solar core is not compromised even on a cloudy day. It's fully there, even though I'm not enjoying or experiencing that light fully, that you always have to remember. And this light also is not gone. This light is not gone. This light has been subsumed. And what I have to do is wake up. So in a world of tzimtzum, in a world where there's darkness, we can tell ourselves other stories about ourselves until we can go into exile. How many stories we tell about ourselves depends where we are. There is trauma in its deepest spiritual sense of facing the tzimtzum, and there is the trauma, the way it's manifested sometimes in very, very dysfunctional ways, but it all begins with the fact that I tell a story about myself in which I conceptualize myself and I define myself within terms and within definitions and within a world that is detached from the solar core. The ray is detached and therefore it's not, there's no seamless flow. Now we'll understand why the essence of Purim was that the king couldn't sleep that the king that night, he couldn't sleep. As we will see in the continuation of the Mimer, which we will, Be'ezer Hashem, continue on Thursday morning, which is, of course, Tainus Esther, Erev Purim, and Be'ezer Hashem finished the Mimer as well. It's going to be Thursday, 7.30. Tomorrow morning, we have our women's class, 9.45 a.m., and you don't want to miss it. We're going to be learning tomorrow a short an incredible mimer of the Balatanya and Purim, explaining why Hashem's name is not mentioned in the Megillah. It's an incredible, short, powerful mimer. We're going to learn it tomorrow by the women's class. That's Tuesday, 9.45. As usual, you could come on live or you can watch the replay of it. And I wish you all a beautiful, beautiful day. The question somebody asks here is, today's methods and tools to remove blockages seems like to me, that if we stay in this mimer and we stay in its consciousness, the blockages aren't blockages. Well, amen, but sometimes you do have to perceive, you do have to acknowledge the fact that our mind really can tell itself that it's experiencing blockages. So you're right, but you'll also have to have compassion for other alternate alternative perceptions, just not, don't worship them, but you, you will have to have compassion for them. How do you distinguish between the light and the essence? Yeah, very good. You're saying by sleep the kayak doesn't leave. It's still there. It's just it's just it just retreated into its essence, so to speak. So in res- yeah, beautiful. Thank you, Daban, and thank you for sharing. So very briefly, I'll just say this in a minute. In what very briefly, Daniel, in response to your question. The difference between the light and the essence is light is the way the impact of the sun 
travels. In other words, it's the way it's communicated to us. I can't sit near the sun. I can't go up to the sun I'm gonna, uh, unless I want to become toast for breakfast. But the light, the ray of the solar core is what communicates something of its brightness, something of its heat, something of its intensity, something of its life-giving properties to our planet. Right? The whole process of photosynthesis, which is, of course, essential to life on our planet, happens from the fact that the trees can take sunlight and convert the sunlight into glucose, which is basically the food for the trees, and take it take carbon dioxide, turn it into oxygen, and all of the other processes that the tree does, if the sun actually was living on the tree, the tree would be destroyed, would be burnt up in a moment. But there's a ray of the sun that comes, and the tree can absorb that ray and convert that into life-giving properties. Right? This is very important to understand. So there's the ray of the sun, and there's the sun itself. If it's a cloudy day, if it's a rainy day, yeah, the sun is still present. Sun has not set. But I have no access to the ray, so to speak. Just like when I put down, when I close the door, I close the window, and I put down the Venetian, I put down the blind over the window, right? The sun is still there, and the ray is also still there. It's just there's a blockage in how it's being communicated into my home. So in my dining room, my living room, I don't see it. So this is just an example to define the difference between Eir and Etzem. The Tzemach Tzedek is saying, whenever the Ariza, whenever you learn about Tzimtzum, don't think it's a Tzimtzum in the Etzem. It's only a Tzimtzum in the Eir in Saif. What do we mean it's only a Tzimtzum in the Eir in Saif? It means as follows. In the way the in Saif is communicated and manifested and articulated in a form that can be communicated to the outside, which is what the ray is, over there in that communication, there was a concealment. The clouds have emerged. The curtain has been drawn so that you do not see and experience the presence of the Eirin Saif. But the core, which is beyond articulation, beyond language, that has not been altered in the slightest. The symptom has not affected that in the slightest. Hamoir hu galus. The Alter Rebbe has an expression in Torah Parshas Vayeru. The Moir, the source of light, is in its full, intense revelation as it was before creation. It's just revelation for the Moir is not language. And that's where, again, we have to understand the sensitivity of the metaphor and the limitations of the metaphor. In the metaphor, the light of the sun comes from the sun. In the, in the nimshal, in the idea we're talking about, the light of the Ein Saif is the way Ein Saif is manifested on the outside, which means it's already the way the Ein Saif is articulated as light. And over there, there could be concealment. If you want to use different words, Ein Saif is already a world where there's somewhat language. And because there's language, there could be different stories you tell yourself about yourself. Etzem is the core of the self which transcends language, and therefore there's no change in that. I just have to open myself up to it. So when a person is in a state of darkness, they always can cling on to the mire where there's never ever darkness. 
In the Moir, there's also no light, so there's no darkness. The Moir transcends the language of light or darkness. And therefore, there's no darkness, there's also no light. And because there's no light, it can't be dark. It's not the way the Ein Saif is being communicated, and therefore it can't be diminished, it can't be mitigated, it can't be compromised, it can't be concealed. The way the Eir is communicated from the Ein Saif, which is already restricted, which is already channeled, like the solar core versus the solar ray. There's the solar core and the solar ray. Again, only a metaphor. Not a good metaphor, because even the solar core is limited. It's just the sun. But it's a powerful metaphor in terms of the distinction. Over here, I can block the ray. But blocking the ray will not block the sun. It will, not, it, will, it will block my access to the sun in terms of the ray not reaching me, but it will not affect the sun in any way. Sun is not going to go into a depression. Sun is not going to get traumatized because it's a cloudy day. The sun doesn't come home crying and going to therapy. It was a cloudy day. It was a cloudy day, okay. So my light did not reach everywhere. People did not experience it, but the core was unchanged. I come. I, I go to therapy crying. It was a cloudy day. Why? Because I don't know about my son. I think I don't have a son, so I'm cloud. I'm, I'm crying. My ray has not reached anywhere. The son wants to commit suicide. The son says, "I'm not alive." Look how dark it is. <laughs> no, 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 no. The darkness is only in the perception, in the perception of other people of your light. Don't doubt. Don't doubt yourself. You're you're in your full. You're in your full. Uh, you're in your full brightness and intensity. Very often that happens to us. I'm looking at myself from the perspective of the outsider who's waiting for the ray. And I'm like, I'm not receiving any rays. I must not exist. That's it. I'm done. I'm finished with life. <laughs> you understand? I'm judging myself based on the light of myself that has not reached me. But the sun itself is completely okay. It was a dark day. I hope tomorrow it's going to be lighter. I hope tomorrow maybe be less clouds, even though the rain is also important. Clouds are also important. They distribute the rain everywhere. The point is that the sun doesn't go into a depression or doesn't challenge its identity or doesn't start thinking it's worthless and it doesn't really exist. Why? Because all it sees is its own light. <laughs> and then it says, oh, there's no light, there's no sun. No, no, there's a sun. You get it? And that's the idea that the etzim, there's no tzimtzum. There's never a tzimtzum. In the oir, there's a tzimtzum. And even in the oir, he says, it's not that the oir is gone. The oir is subsumed in its mucker. And that's what sleep is. That's the example of sleep. All the kaychas are there. They're just not necessarily being channeled in a revealed way. They're in a state of concealment. When that happens, this, the posture of a person changes. So in a post-Simpson world, the goats could be ahead of the sheep. And we have to wake up and say, You're, as they used to say in camp, your attentional counselors and campers, your attention, please, 25 minutes to line up, right? And those who came early woke up 6 o'clock in the morning and got cocoa. Cocoa Club for learning Mishnayas Balpa at 6 o'clock in the morning. Okay, my dearest friends, have a beautiful day. Tomorrow morning, 9.45, Thursday morning, 7.30, Be'ezer Hashem. Have an amazing day. Amalek is Gemachis uh, Suffolk. Amalek is Suffolk. Two? Yeah.
Kofen phase 180, and another 60 is 240. Suffolk. Amalek is doubt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have to obliterate, we have to obliterate. Yeah, in the Sheshchir, the six things that we remember every day, one of the things to remember is Amalek. Why do we have to remember it every day? What's going to happen if we forget about Amalek one day? Because inner doubt is a very paralyzing force. I doubt myself. I doubt God. I doubt history. I doubt the world. I doubt the people that love me. I doubt. I just doubt everybody. That's the ultimate symptom, the world of doubt. That's what Rabbi Nachman writes in Lakutim Aran, that there's the doubts that come from facing that void. Everything looks empty and dark, so you have a lot of doubts. Yeah, I think Simon Samach Dalit in Lakutim Aran, 64. We'll learn it one day. It's a very powerful piece. It's a very long piece. We have to learn it one day. On Parsha's boy, Boyal Parai. Lakutim Aran Samach Dalit. Rabbi Shalom Dehez Vastutzuch. Yeah, yeah, I learned it many years ago, and then a few days ago, I had to look something up, so I looked it up, and I realized what a powerful piece it is, and I thought, you know, one day we should teach that piece. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.